Blog Talk Radio. edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the podcast discussing news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and here are the stories I would like to discuss with you today. First, more on the jihadist attack in Boston, including a look at the following questions. Did the FBI and CIA drop the ball with respect to investigating the Scum Brothers, as we like to call them here on Don't Let It Go Unheard? Uh, Also, as Mike Baker, who was a guest on Red Eye this weekend, uh, he argued, if you defend privacy and what they call civil liberties, are you a hypocrite for asking the question as to whether the FBI and the CIA dropped the ball? That's what he was arguing. Second, are people starting to question Islam as such? And also, are they starting to change the terminology that they use to refer to our enemy as a result of the atrocity in Boston? Might this change in attitude towards Islam as such even be having an effect on how Obama deals with the so-called Arab Spring in the Middle East? Then, an entirely different story, although it's a little bit linked to uh, to our you know story about jihad. Will the GOP try and run another Bush for president in 2016? Really? Could they actually do that? And we've got more stories if there's time. I would like you to call in to you know, discuss these stories with me, please. 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. I see in the chat room people are already saying that Obama dropped the ball with respect to uh, our foreign policy. He's uh, Zach in the chat room is linking to a, D- a Daniel Greenfield story saying that Obama slashed the bombing prevention budget in half. So we're going to go ahead and see that. Uh, Dever in the chat room is chiming in with regard to my name for the brothers. I called them the Scum Brothers last week. <laughs> Dead terrorist and little terrorist. I think I like those names. Scum Brothers just kind of, kind of, you know, flows off the tongue a little more smoothly, maybe, but. I I do like those names as well. The thing is now, uh, Deborah, we have to have a name for not only the scum brother, the big scum brother and the little scum brother, but what about the mother? We have now the scum mother. And then we can call her, we can call them sons of a scum mother. I don't know. I don't know what we can do. But I don't like using their real names, as you'll see when we actually go ahead and discuss the story. So let's go ahead and dive in. The first story that has been going around this week is whether the FBI and the CIA dropped the ball with respect to the investigation of the Scum Brothers who committed the uh, jihadist atrocity in Boston. So the story is that the Russian authorities had alerted the FBI and the CIA about some potential jihadist activity of the older brother, in particular the older scum brother. 
And they went ahead and investigated him a couple years ago. Apparently, they even spoke with him. And then they decided that they didn't have enough evidence and they closed the case. But now, of course, there is more evidence coming out. And with more evidence coming out and being provided by the Russian authorities, namely wiretapped phone calls, you know, eavesdropped on phone calls by the Russian authorities, now, of course, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, so to speak. And we're saying, well, maybe the FBI and the CIA should have done a better job. Of course, we need to keep in mind the timeline, right? The timeline was that Russia tells the FBI and or the CIA there's something going on with these guys, particularly the older scum brother. FBI, CIA investigate according to whatever the limits are of their internal investigation procedures. They come up with nothing over a period of months and then... They go back to Russia and say, well, we don't have anything that's going to allow us to investigate further. Can you give us more? And then apparently the Russians didn't answer, didn't give them any more information. And when they didn't, the FBI had to close the investigation according to their uh, you know, their actual internal procedures. And the citation that I have for all this is an AP news story that was on my way. You know how that my way news, it was linked to by the Drudge Report, so it's easy to find. And, and there was also the, the same kind of story was picked up, I believe, by CBS, who went on and had a little bit more information about how the FBI is receiving all sorts of uh, criticism because of their response here. But again, the timeline was the FBI investigated, couldn't find enough to continue the investigation, and then when they didn't get a response from Russia about getting more information, they went ahead and closed the case in June 2011. So it sounds like they did what they were supposed to do. Um, nonetheless, I mean, people say, look, you know, the main job, one of the main jobs that our government is supposed to do, is not supposed to set up presidential libraries necessarily. I mean, you might think, okay, our government is supposed to preserve some records about what our presidents have done. But in terms of, you know, mausoleums and huge uh, museums in tribute of presidents that our tax dollars are going towards, some of our tax money is going towards, are they supposed to be doing that? No. Are they supposed to be figuring out how they can indoctrinate our children in our schools? No. Are they supposed to be redistributing wealth no, but what are they supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be protecting us from people who would harm us either domestically here or people who come from abroad, as these two scum brothers have done. By the way, Robert, in the chat room, he says, what about calling the mother, mother scummer? I like it. I do like it. That's Robert NYC in the chat room. Thank you. Um, but that's what we're supposed to be doing. Our, our government is supposed to be defending us from these scumbags. And it looks like, well, maybe they didn't do everything that they could. And Mike Baker on Red Eye last night, for those of you who don't know him, Mike Baker is the president of a company that he calls Diligence. He has basically, he used to be, I guess, in the CIA, and then he retired and he started his own private security company, security consulting company called Diligence. Of course, on Red Eye, they tell you that Diligence does all sorts of crazy things, like, I don't know, makes tampons or something. But I mean, it's not usually that bad, but that's 
it's the kind of embarrassing stuff that they accuse him of. But uh, actually, he has a security company, and and he's saying, look, you know, their their hands are tied. The FBI and the CIA, according to the procedures, are allowed to investigate only so much, and then if they don't dig up anything, they have to close the investigation. And what he was saying is that if we are the type of people who like to retain our civil liberties, who like our privacy, we don't want the government reading all our emails, et cetera, et cetera, then we are hypocritical if we criticize the government for not having done more to investigate the scum brothers in this case. What do you guys think? Chat room. People are saying, uh, oh, they're having a discussion here about the brothers and what they were doing that evening that they were being apprehended. They were not heading to a party. They were going to go out and carry out more terrorist attacks in New York. Yeah, all this was going on. Um, We did have the older scum brother put on a terrorist watch list, but I guess no one was watching it. There was something else that allowed this to slip through the cracks, apparently, and that was a typo in the flight record of the older scum brother who went back to Russia for six months, maybe got some training on how to create these IEDs, these explosive devices there. Um, Yeah, they're talking about the financing of the libraries in the chat room. We're going to get to that story later, John, so we'll definitely talk about that. Um, But what do you think? I mean, are we hypocrites? We definitely like our civil liberties, right? We like our privacy. We don't believe that our government should, without probable cause and particularized suspicion, be able to read our emails, tap our phone lines, etc. And yet we want to criticize what the FBI and the CIA did in this case. Is that hypocritical? I actually happen to think it's not, although I think it's a legitimate question, right? Um, Deborah says that she agrees with me, so that's good. I think I got this right because Deborah agrees with me. No, but I think I think we're not hypocrites. I think that we could argue for different standards for people who immigrate into this country and then have some sort of suspicion thrown on them versus people who are born United States citizens and in particular don't have any suspicion thrown on them. So we could have a lower standard of suspicion in order to be able to carry out an, carry out an investigation. I mean, what we could do is argue for a different set of procedures for the FBI and CIA. It may not be the fault of the particular people at the FBI and the CIA who are operating under those procedures. It might be the fault of the procedures themselves, and we could just be arguing for those procedures to be changed. It clearly seems like there was going, you know, a lot more going on in this case and that they should not have dropped the investigation. But from what I do understand in, in dealing with the Russian authorities, the Russians' concern a lot are uh, about the separatist nature of these jihadists. Sometimes these jihadists are working side by side by the Russian separatists, you know, the Chechen separatists. And so the you know Russians are more concerned about that than they actually are about the jihadist threat. And so that you'll get very limited cooperation. They cooperate only so much as we can get, they can get the FBI to give them information about whether these people are cooperating with a Chechen separatist movement or something like that. Um, Zach in the chat room says, is wanting defense hypocritical? What are we, libertarians? 
Um, no, I mean, we are not anarchists, that's for sure, right? We need to realize that the, you know, the government in Boston clearly did its job with regard to rounding up the Scum Brothers. Uh, of course, the one got killed. That may have happened purposefully by the younger Scum Brother, who knows? But no, we we are not anarchist libertarians, and that's why I don't think we are hypocrites for both criticizing the FBI and the CIA in this case, and then at the same time saying that we want our civil liberties, because I think the line could be drawn. Hi, Deborah, is that you? Yeah, it's me. Yeah, so, so what do you think about this? I mean, it's an interesting line of argument, right? Uh, you know, Baker, he's trying to defend the FBI and the CIA, saying, look, they acted properly in this case. They acted according to procedure. And if you don't like procedures, then basically you should forget your opposition to the Patriot Act and all the other things that would invent our civil liberties. I mean, excuse me, invade our civil liberties, not invent. Hello. I know what you meant. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I just, uh, I think that what's going on here partly is just that it would I don't think they should spy indiscriminately on people and I don't think that's what anyone's claiming. I mean, if we could just identify explicitly that the people we're at war with are not uh, you know, objectivists or, you know, I mean Islam. We're at war with Muslims. And when people go to these radicalized countries like Chechnya and, you know, spend six months there training, presumably that draws suspicion on them. And it's not, you know, I mean, I, I think that at some point there's probable cause that you're not just violating the privacy. That's completely different from expecting the CIA and the FBI to read your email and my email and just to randomly violate the privacy of American citizens who've done nothing to draw suspicion on themselves. Right. Now, in the chat room, Earl is uh, saying that he's heard that there are over 500,000 people on these watch lists. And then he says, if this is the case, who are they watching? It seems like maybe that they're focusing on the wrong things. It would be interesting to know what would actually make you turn up on a watch list. But assuming that we do have a lot of the right people on the watch list, including the scum brothers and hopefully now the scum mother because she's been revealed to be a a total fraud, um, you know, if these people are on the list, why not make these huge database just out of the people who are legitimately on the watch list? Assuming that the criteria for being on the watch list is valid, like it's something right. like, you know, some uh, you know, some good substantive tip from another country that these people might be jihadists, that sounds like a good reason to be on a watch list. You know, why not have all of these databases that they keep talking about have, you know, information solely from these people on the watch list versus have huge databases that are supposedly anonymized and it's got all of our information in it along with everybody else's and make that be subject to search. I mean, that would be my preference. Yeah, this is ridiculous. They just don't want to say that it's identify the fact that it's Muslims and Islam. And so they just make it random and they put everybody on it. But, you know, I can easily imagine how they could establish objective criteria for putting people on this list and then even defining levels of probability that this person poses a threat. And that would all have to start, though, with identifying who we're at war with. Right. Uh, And they're not doing that. So instead, they have to take this egalitarian approach where any peacock is just as likely 
as this, uh, you know, dead terrorist or, or little terrorist for a, to blow up a building or, or bomb a marathon or something because we can't draw any conclusions by the fact that they're Muslims and and that they have all these, uh, that they're from this other country that is known to have problems with Islam and Muslims and uh it, you know, I mean, if they would just take a logical approach to it, then it wouldn't be a problem. We wouldn't have to have this conversation about whether it's worth it to give up our privacy rights in exchange for being safe. It's just a false dichotomy. No, exactly. And and uh, in the chat room, someone was saying that if you want to have a perfect terrorism investigation, then you basically have to give up privacy and everything else and uh, you know you, what you want to do is you want to say perfect is defined within a context of what a proper government should be able to do and i say i don't care what technology is available that the standard should still be probable cause and particularized suspicion in order to invade our rights to property contract everything else all the things that protect our privacy out there i i think that that's got to be the standard earl in the chat room and in, you know in conjunction also with the john in the chat room are making a good point earl says it seems like they might be making the databases cast such a wide net that they're practicing practically meaningless and I agree in conjunction with John's point. John says, can they focus on Islamic enthusiasts under the Obama regime? He says, I'll bet no. And, of course, you and I know, Deborah, and we've talked about this before, and many people have talked about this all over talk radio, that Obama, the whole Obama administration has said that, the, no, they cannot focus on Islam or you know any sort of enthusiasm for the jihad as a cause for investigating somebody, you know, uh, that, that basically the whole word Islam, I guess, has been wiped from a whole lot of FBI training materials, et cetera, et cetera. So, no, I, you know, I bet these databases, the 500,000 people on the watch list, they've got to pepper them with all sorts of people who, you know, supposedly are extremists, right? This It's probably full of extremists, whether you are an extremist for justice and honesty and goodness and love, or you're an extremist for Islam, it doesn't mean anything different to them, you know? Yeah, and so they, there are a lot of people who probably know that and don't take it seriously. I, I think I remember hearing that that guy, the, the so-called uh, panty bomber, as Mark Stein calls him, the underwear bomber, um, he was on some list. He was on either the do not fly list or the terror watch list or something like that. And somehow he managed to get his way onto a plane with a bomb. So yeah. And 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 how does this happen? I mean, it happens probably because the database and the list is so huge, and it's probably being updated all the time. So there's all sorts of weird quirks that can happen that way. And then all you have to have is a typo or something, and then it goes from you know Smith to Schmidt or something, and and you're done. Um, so so I mean, who who knows? I I I just think that yes, we are not identifying the root cause enough. The thing that we have seen, though, and I, have you noticed this over the past couple of weeks, Deborah, that there's been a little bit of a shift in the discussion out there, a willingness to look more at Islam, a willingness to talk about jihad as the cause more and more? Um, I think so. At least, I mean, I've heard a couple of little 
bits and pieces on conservative talk radio programs. Um, every once in a while, I'll listen to a little bit of that on my way home from work, and I, I caught part of Michael Savage's program the other day, and I was shocked by what he said because he didn't just say, you know, something strong in terms of denouncing Islam. He denounced religion in general. He called it a disease on humanity. And religion? In, I thought he was religious. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, he's all over the place, right? He's not consistent. But what he said on one one particular day, I think last week when I caught him on the way home, he said, I used to think religion was good for people, but I don't think so anymore. I think it's a disease on humanity, and most people can't handle it. Um, so, but yeah, he's not consistent at all. And a day or two later, I heard him talking about how how he thinks God put him in a position where he could be on talk radio because that's his calling. So he's not consistent. But just the fact that these people are saying stuff like that, I was just, like, uh, really happy to hear it. And and Robert in the chat room agrees with you here, apparently. But the thing with Savage, I, I sometimes wonder if he's putting on an act and he'll go off, you know, half onto something, get very enthusiastic. I don't know if you remember, he had uh, talked about Bosch Faustin on his show. I heard about that. And, yeah, and, I heard about it. He was all excited about Bosch's cartoon, and he was going to post it on his website and contact. And Bosch had some contact with his producer back and forth, and yeah, they were going to put it up, and it never happened. He just totally flicked. Now, that's just an example, but I think the guy kind of goes off half-cocked a little bit, and he just uh, gets very enthusiastic, and he sounds very good. People in the chat room, Joe, was pointing out something. Did you see Bill Maher talk about Islam recently, just in the last week or so? No, I never watched Bill Maher. <laughs> he, is, he is actually excellent on Islam. He's really, really good. Uh, one thing that's fun from the past, it's from a few years ago, uh, look up Muslim Fashion Show and, huh? Bill, Ma- and Bill Maher. Bill Maher, he, one of his, uh, I guess he goes on tour like a lot of these guys do. You know, they have little live shows. And he had this little Muslim Fashion Show as part of his live show. It is fun. I'll, I'll say no more than that. But in the last in the last week, he was talking to some guy He's an academic, I think Levy or Levin or something. He's at a local Southern California university. And his study, his specialty is hate something or whatever. I don't know. He, you know, some sort of politically correct guy. And Marr basically surprised him by uh, saying, no, you know, there is a problem with Islam here. And it was funny because the, the guest says, oh, well, I'm going to set you up on a date with Pamela Geller. Or, or you're looking for a date with Pamela Geller, and Marr didn't even know. Bill Marr doesn't even know who Pamela Geller is, you know, because he's just so out of that whole network because he's, he's really left-wing. And, you know, Pamela Geller's a very right-wing, weird, you know, woman. Uh, plus, she's an intellectual property thief, by the way, which is why I don't like Pamela Geller because she is an intellectual property thief. So let me just keep the record straight. She's, she's great on jihad. But you'd have to really take her out of context to to like her in my book. Um, but anyway, you know, this guy was going to set up Bill Maher with Pamela Geller, which is just the funniest date I would ever see in my life. And uh, he's excellent on that. So I, he's he's got some compartmentalization going on or something, but he's a very good critic of Islam. And, and I think in a lot of the media, you are seeing more naming of Islam as a serious problem. Uh, I don't know if you also saw there was this uh, piece that Bosch has had on Front Page Magazine. It's actually an older piece. 
that they reposted this week because of this issue of terminology. The piece on Front Page Magazine, and, and go check it out, listeners, if you haven't seen it. It's called Calling Islam Islam. Did you see that piece, Deborah? Yes, I have. I, I, I really like it. Yeah, he's basically saying, why is it that people are making up new terms to refer to the enemy's ideology, to jihadists, to everything else. You know, there's these terms, Islamism, Islamic totalitarianism, all kinds of terms, and he lists all of them there. But the idea is that if you are making up these terms, you are basically whitewashing this religion, Islam, which in its nature, by its nature, is totalitarian, is violent, etc., etc. You know, this idea that there is political Islam and then there's Islam. There's totalitarian Islam and then there's Islam. There's radical Islam and then there's Islam. Is Islam, as it is held and believed by many people today in 2013, is radical, violent, totalitarian, supremacist, all these other terms that that people use. And I think it's good that this discussion's going on. If you go to Front Page Magazine, I think there's over 800 comments on this piece of Bosch's, which is incredible. Um, but I, I think it's just good that people are starting to at least consider that maybe Islam doesn't mean peace after all. Uh, there might be some people who call themselves Muslims, who are very peaceful. Of course, I agree that that's true. But I think we actually do need to look critically at this ideology, Islam. And I'd like to see, frankly, more Muslims distance themselves explicitly from their religion. That's what I'd like to see. Robert uh, in the chat room, Robert NYC in the chat room, is putting the link up right now to the front page magazine piece. Go ahead, check it out. Join in on the conversation. That conversation in the comments is all over the place, by the way, uh, as you could imagine. Um, so, 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 Deborah, I think, I mean, what would you have if you were going to, you know, going back to the original point about whether we're hypocrites if we criticize the FBI and the CIA for their performance with respect to the Scum Brothers, obviously we need a change in policy. We need to allow more investigation of these people when they come in from a foreign country, when they're ha when they've been linked to this Islamic, uh, you know, ideology of jihad, right? Uh, if they're linked to jihad, if they come in from another country, maybe we need to allow the FBI and the CIA to investigate them further. And we need to narrow down this huge database of 500,000 people on a terrorist watch list and say, okay, how many of these people really are uh, suspicious for the right reasons? You think that would be a good start, Deborah? Maybe a good start. But you know what I really think? And, and you know, Bosch made an analogy in his piece that we didn't ever talk about radical Nazis versus whatever. I can't remember exactly how he formulated it, but the point being that Nazis are Nazis, even the ones who were not concentration camp guards. And we didn't make any of these apologies. We didn't have to worry about watching the United States for Nazi infiltration and little, like, Nazi sleeper cells and things like that because we just blasted them off the face of the earth and we eradicated Nazism as a force. And... So anyone who might have sympathized with that ideology had nothing to do about it. You know, they didn't have the morale to fight for it. And in this whole issue makes me think of, of a talk by John David Lewis about he was looking at all these historical cases of countries 
either projecting their power outward and destroying actively their enemy and thereby crushing the will of them to fight as opposed to trying to hunker down and protect themselves and kind of take on this malevolent um, idea about, oh, we can't do it. We just have to try and hunker and hide behind walls and hope that they don't get in, you know. And that's what we're really doing if we're trying to monitor people. So I think that the real issue is just to identify the enemy, take a really strong stand, and just blast, you know, I don't know exactly enough about the situation in practical terms to know what we would need to do, like attack Iran and just blast them to hell, or or Saudi Arabia too, or both. I mean, I don't know, but, like, take a really powerful uh, approach that obviously couldn't be taken if we can't even name our enemy. And then we don't have to worry about watch lists and things like that because it would just destroy Islam as a force the way that we destroyed Nazism. Yes, exactly. I mean, here we are having this debate about the techniques for hunkering down and protecting us domestically. You know, the huge Department of Homeland Security that they spend tons and tons and tons of money on instead of fighting a proper war. And we have not fought a proper war against the right enemy at all. Uh, some listeners to this show, you know, actually I'm, I'm hearing that my show might end up starting to be broadcast on something called Liberty Express Radio soon. Uh, if that actually happens, I'll go ahead and post it on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. But I suspect that a number of people who will listen to my show from Liberty Express Radio are Uh, supporters of Ron Paul and that sort of foreign policy. And when I start talking about fighting a proper war abroad, uh, then suddenly I mean the neoconservative nation-building garbage, right? And and we we, we don't believe in that, Deborah. But what we do believe in is taking some country who has been supporting the jihadist enemy, like Iran, like Saudi Arabia, and at least making an example, I think Iran would be a good candidate right now. Why? Because they're on the verge of getting nuclear weapons. They have declared time and time again that they would like to wipe our ally Israel off the map, et cetera, et cetera. And I've heard both Yaron Brook and Leonard Peikoff many times say, if you just did a really good bombing, a good show of force with respect to one of them, show that we're not a paper tiger, and you said morally self-righteously, exactly why you were doing it and what criteria you would apply before you would go ahead and make an example or do it again with respect to another country that all these people would fall in line. It's not like you'd have to go and, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to kill however many billions of Muslims that they say exist this week. No, all you have to do is go to the center of support for jihad and make an example of them with a good, strong show of force and a morally righteous declaration that we're not going to tolerate it anymore. And I think this, you know, quibbling about whether the FBI and the CIA, you know, followed the proper policies here would not be nearly as important, right? Exactly. You just, you crush their center of power and show them they cannot win. You know, you kind of have to crush their spirit and their will to fight and, and just say, no, this is over. You're not going to win any wars for Allah. So just shut up and assimilate or, you know, keep your religion if you want to, but it's never going to be a political force. And then they'll stop doing this crap that they've been doing. You know, I mean, Professor Lewis made the example of Shinto in Japan, which was an excellent analogy, I think, that all these Japanese, they, they were still there, 
these people who have been practitioners of Shinto, but somehow they weren't a threat anymore because they were just kind of neutered as a like a malevolent uh, force. Exactly. Exactly. Once once we made that just total shock and awe show of force, that's it. There was no more motivation. Robert NYC in the chat room says that his preference is to point a nuclear warhead at Mecca and say, if there's one more American death anywhere in the world, we will blast this place to smithereens. <laughs> now, I like that. I think it's great. But I think that right now, if we did that, no one would believe us. No. I think no. I, I, I think that we'd actually have to do something concrete right now because our track record is so abysmal. You know, what did we do with Iraq? I mean, certainly we didn't destroy any. First of all, Iraq was the wrong war. Afghanistan is the right place, but the wrong type of policy. And I mean, what 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 have we done? We haven't shown any significant morally self righteous self defense for a long time. Uh, the the other thing that I think would go along, of course, with fighting the proper war abroad would be a proper culture here at home. And this is the other thing that we don't have. I mean, where else but in United States today can the two scum brothers have their pictures strewn all over the media time and time and time again, right? Um and people be interested in their backgrounds and how is it that they came to be alienated and radicalized. And then, of course, there was this huge platform being given to the scum mother. Do you remember watching video clips of her saying that it's all a frame up and her boys are great and et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, well, I heard audio and then I heard audio for saying that her that dead terrorist is dead and she doesn't care if they kill a little terrorist or her and she's going to be screaming Allahu Akbar. Uh, she's kind of uh, yeah, she's kind of all over the place. But they gave her they gave her all the all the time she wanted and all the attention she wanted. Yeah, so she's she's made a, a spectacle of herself as well. Um, yeah, and Robert in the chat room points out yes, and collect welfare. These boys may indeed have been collecting welfare. Certainly have been on food stamps. <sighs> food stamps is another topic for another show. I guess the Obama administration is paying advertisers huge amounts of money to encourage people to go on food stamps, your tax dollars at work. But I, I especially resent it when we are funding the jihad. I think there was some clip, there was some imam on a video or, you know, Muslim cleric, maybe even a domestic one saying that collecting welfare, that like the welfare payments are payments to fuel the jihad. Like explicitly saying that basically if you're a jihadist, you should collect welfare and let go ahead and let the welfare payments fuel your jihad cause. Bizarre. That's horrible. So I, we, are, we are the biggest suckers right now in the world if that's true. If, if it's true that you've got these scum brothers and people like them collecting welfare from our tax dollars and then using that money to travel overseas, get trained in Russia on building IEDs, come back and use that, again, same welfare, food stamp money, whatever, to purchase the supplies, to make the pressure cooker bombs, and then use those to kill our people and our and our police and everybody else. I mean, this is this is this is horrible. Uh the 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 true hope though is that we are seeing people look at Islam and jihad differently, that this shift in terminology is not just a temporary thing. And I'm I'm even wondering whether the attention that Islam, 
that groups like the Muslim Brotherhood are now getting are is actually going to force Obama to treat the so-called Arab Spring differently than he has before. That was kind of my next topic. Have, have you seen the story about Syria this week? Uh, no, I haven't. So apparently what's going on is that in Syria, Assad is accused of having used chemical weapons against the rebels and against his people. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Do you remember Barack Obama said that if Assad uses chemical weapons, then that's my red line, and then I'm going to come in and support, I guess, the rebellion in a more substantive way than he has already and unseat Assad from power. I see. So now he's uh, being called on a carpet? Exactly, because supposedly there's some evidence that maybe some chemical weapons were used. And so then the question is, okay, Obama, where are you? Are you, you know, you're going to support the rebels? You're not going to support the rebels? What's up? And what he's been doing, I guess there's two different tactics that he's been taking. One is question the evidence as to whether the chemical weapons have actually been used. Mm-hmm. And then the other tactic is... You know, as part, he's, he's been going around doing these so-called charm offensives. He, he he likes to go out and just woo politicians over to his side on a particular issue or on many issues. And he's gone to Congress, apparently, and said, well, yeah, I know I said that if they cross this red line and if they use chemical weapons, that we're really going to respond with some sort of huge show of force or who knows what it is. And instead, he's arguing for a more cautious response, so to speak. And uh, why is it? It's because he realizes that if he tries to do what he's done in Egypt and elsewhere, that all he's doing is that he's going to put into power the Muslim Brotherhood or somebody like them, right? Um, And he's not going to get away with it anymore because there's been so much attention drawn to this. And I think that one of the side effects of, of Boston is that there's even more attention brought to the so-called, you know, they're calling them radical Islamic, blah, blah, blah. But there's more attention being brought to Islam, jihad, the Muslim Brotherhood, etc. cetera. Uh, ironically, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, Bosch pointed out this week, the Muslim Brotherhood calls themselves the Muslim Brotherhood. They don't call themselves the Islamist Brotherhood, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. They call themselves what they are. Exactly. Oh, uh, Robert NYC in the chat room is talking about old but old Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam cartoons. Do you remember watching those at all? Or were, are you too young for that, Deborah? Um, I just have some memories of it, but uh, not the specific thing Robert's talking about. I watched a lot of Bugs Bunny, and I don't know if I really re- – I, I seem to vaguely remember what Robert's talking about here. He said that uh, basically – I guess it was – what was it Bugs Bunny or was it Yosemite Sam? It was probably Yosemite Sam daring Bugs Bunny to cross the line. It's got to have been that one uh, because Bugs Bunny is not the fool. Bugs Bunny is always the wise one in the cartoon. So it must have been Yosemite Sam uh, daring Bugs Bunny. Oh, no, it's got to be a Bugs Bunny then. Okay. See, I've got it all wrong. Robert knows the the cartoon. Okay, Bugs Bunny dares Yosemite Sam to cross a line. And then Yosemite Sam crosses it. Then Bugs Bunny dares him to cross another line and another line. And then Yosemite eventually crosses the last line and falls off the cliff. Awesome. 
good stuff. But, you know, the thing that I always loved about the uh, laws of nature in Bugs Bunny cartoons and also the Roadrunner and the Coyote cartoons and stuff, did you notice that gravity never actually worked until you looked down? No, I never noticed that. I know there's yeah. like a pause before they, they'll of like course. kind of run off the cliff and float in the air for a minute first. <laughs> exactly. And usually what it is is that they're floating in the air and then as soon as they look down, then they fall. So it's like a primacy of consciousness type of thing? Exactly, exactly. Whatever's in your consciousness rules the day. If you're not aware of the fact that you're in the middle of the air, that you're way up this you know, way up high and that gravity's gonna pull you down. If you know, if you just evade it for a couple seconds, then you're not gonna fall. But as soon as you look, <laughs> that's it, it's done. But yeah. Um you know, this is what Obama has done. It, it's just like this cartoon. He said, okay, you cross the line, you use chemical weapons. Oh, oh, now it's not that. And it's so funny because, you know, he they called it a red line. And then one of the Republican politicians who is, of course, you know, in line with Obama that maybe we shouldn't respond right away with respect to this uh, chemical weapon. It's uh, Representative Michael McCall from Texas. He says, well, maybe now it's actually more of a pink line. Um, oh, actually, he didn't He didn't use that. McCall said something else, but there was a, a Representative John Micah, who is a Republican from Florida. He said, maybe now it's a pink line. It's not quite red. And then McCall from Texas gave the reason. This is the quote from McCall. He says, uh, the outcome either way is not a good one. He says, you either get a puppet of Iran or the Muslim Brotherhood or Al-Qaeda moving in to take power, which is what we've seen repeatedly throughout this Arab Spring, end quote. So I like this. I, I think that there is an increasing awareness that, you know, this idea of supporting a rebellion in the, you know, cause of democracy in the Middle East, that this is a bunch of garbage. And what you end up instead is some sort of puppet government, either for Iran, Muslim Brotherhood, Al Qaeda, uh, all of the people who are supporting jihad against us. And uh, maybe we're not going to stand for it anymore. Maybe Obama, if he's going to support these people, is going to have to do it in a more roundabout way at least. I hope so. And then we've also got going for us that he doesn't want his base to see him as a warmongering president. So hopefully this will kind of push him in the direction we want him to go. What it does say here in the, uh, the article that I have right now is called Obama's Obama cools opposition's hopes in Syria. It's April 26th, Wall Street Journal. And it talks about the opposition there being a little bit upset that they're not going to get the support that they wanted to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it says that he's been wary of directly arming the opposition due to the, the presence of some radical Islamist groups, et cetera. But what is he doing instead? He's giving them food aid and other things. And what does that do? That allows them to spend money on weapons. So, you know, it, it he's helping them nonetheless. Every time we help these people we get burned. No no joke. Uh so Deborah, do you mind just hanging on with me here? Sure. Okay, because we're gonna go on. We're gonna speaking of Islam means peace. Oh and by the way, not only check out that 
show, that article at Front Page Magazine called Calling Islam Islam. But I'm happy to say that another change in the culture might be evidenced by the fact that Comixology, Comixology is the leading comic book app out there. It's a really cool way to read comic books. It allows you to isolate the panels and see them panel by panel as you're viewing it either on your iPad or your iPhone or maybe other viewers as well. But uh, Bosch's The Infidel, you know, the Infidel comic that he does, Bosch Fossen's The Infidel is available on Comixology. So I just want to get that in there as well. Check that out. But speaking of this idea of Islam means peace, who was the first person to really put that out there in the culture in our country? Bush. Bush. Wasn't it? Yep, it sure was. It was George W. Bush, who was honored this week with his library. Did you watch any of that? No. Can't say that I did. Yeah, I I tried to avoid it for the most part. I have read a little bit of some stories here, but it turns out that throughout all of this, you know, honoring of the dedicating the library and all the presidents getting together. I mean, there was a bit of a tribute to the elder Bush because they say, oh, he was such a statesman compared to what we have today. I mean, come on. He he did the Americans with Disabilities Act. He uh, signed an increase in taxes into law after saying, read my lips, no new taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't like either of the Bushes. Uh, but certainly not George W. Bush, who started the Islam Means Peace. And what I'm getting out of an article at the Independent UK, Sunday, 28th of April, Rupert Cornwell at the Independent UK in London asks the following question. Deborah, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. The question is, is the U.S. ready for a third president called Bush? No, definitely not. Supposedly, the whole showpiece of this, you know, pomp and circumstance this weekend or over the whole course of the week, I guess, when they were dedicating this thing and having all the interviews and everything else was to get people ready for Jeb Bush. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah. And it says uh, when they're talking about the calculation of, you know, associating the words Bush and president together, it denotes not only George W. Bush or even his father, George H.W. Bush. It says increasingly the calculation involves Jeb, George's youngest brother, the former two-term governor of Florida, and probably at this absurdly early moment in the anti-post betting, he is the bookie's favorite for the Republican presidential nomination in 2016. End quote. That, according to the Independent UK. Can you believe he's the bookie's favorite right now? Wow. I mean, what, why? I mean, what's their basis? Just because there's nobody else in the field yet? or? As I understand, he has a Mexican wife, and so that could basically help to answer his party's problems with Hispanic voters. That's what some of this article says. Uh you know, and then of course you'd have Bush versus Clinton again because you've got Hillary Clinton perhaps running. What do you think? Wow. Well, Bush versus Clinton went so well last time. I mean, that's just. I really hope he he doesn't. I mean, that this Republican Party is getting so bad. I mean, just absolutely pathetic. I didn't think they could do too much worse than Mitt Romney. You know. 
but it looks like they're trying to outdo themselves again if they want to put up push in 2016. I mean, wow. I, I don't know what to say about that. In, in terms of discouraging speculation about his run for presidency, this article by uh, Cornwell in the Independent UK says, uh, quote, he gives weighty speeches about rebuilding America. So he's not discouraging speculation is what he's saying. He's giving these weighty speeches. He's published a book on immigration reform and is even allowing a dirty linen, which is a former family maid who was deported for being an illegal immigrant, to be washed in public now before the opponents wash it in the heat of a campaign. Uh, it says a final decision is going to come after the 2014 midterms. And then for Hillary, you know, same thing with her. The name recognition is going to allow him to wait as long as he wants. Uh, the The cool thing, though, apparently is that Barbara Bush, his mother, has said mm-hmm. that, well, you know, while she thinks Jeb Bush would actually make the, bre- the best president, that perhaps we've had enough Bushes in this country. She says it's not for families. You know, you're not going to have, you know, a Bush dynasty. She thinks it's best that we don't anymore. Well, that's encouraging. I mean, I don't know how much influence she would have over him, but that's good to hear. Although I will say that another candidate who really scares me, I mean, I'm kind of disgusted by Bush, but I'm terrified by Rick Santorum. And yes, I know that yes. there's been talk of him getting in in 2016. And if I have to choose between those two, I'll definitely take Jeb Bush. You would take Jeb Bush over? Yeah, I guess I would take Jeb Bush over Rick Santorum, but ew. Yeah, I know. Hopefully there's someone that we could not feel sick about voting for. I mean, is that too much to ask? I mean, it it would be nice. It would be nice if the GOP got their stuff together and maybe supported a Ted Cruz. I have not yet seen anything out of Ted Cruz that disgusts me. Have you? Not yet, no. Uh, So, but we'll see. I mean, the Republicans have an amazing capacity for coming up with stuff that disgusts me. So I don't rule it out. But, yeah, so far so good. Yeah, they're talking in the chat room about maybe Rand Paul and Cruz could run. Uh, Republicans are afraid of Rand Paul. There are some things about Rand Paul that sort of scare me. I'd actually like to see if Rand Paul isn't too big to be interviewed on this show, if he would talk to me. And I would like to throw him some some pointed questions, because I think he's done some very good things. And then there's some things that he says and does that scare me in terms of what he would do as president. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, maybe you're referring to his position on social issues because is that is that what you're Yeah, uh, abortion at? and then also while I do think he made a very good point in his filibuster with respect to drones being used on American citizens on American soil without imminent danger, he seemed to be kind of setting aside his policy about the drones use on foreign uh soil when the person in question whether american either pre you know prior american citizen or otherwise uh you know was in the heat of battle or you know hanging out with jihadists right i i i don't mind if somebody who was an american citizen takes actions to renounce a citizenship i do mind if they do that right but i don't mind if you drone strike those people uh you know if if you've got somebody like the scum brothers and they are overseas hanging out at jihadist training camps, and you happen to use a drone to kill them, I don't mind that. Nope. 
I'm even, perfectly even, happy with that. Yeah, even if on paper they are supposedly U.S. citizens, I am sorry. I think citizenship is revocable. There are certain things that you can do. And I, I think those scum brothers did things that would make it so that they have renounced citizenship. You can try them, I believe, as enemy combatants. Why we don't, who knows. But same thing about the drone strikes. And I'm not sure exactly where Rand Paul uh, is on that. I think that he has said to his followers, oh, no, I haven't changed my view on drone strikes. He was just saying, let's set aside that issue for purposes of the filibuster. And can't we all agree that, and we all do agree that, if there is no imminent threat and you've got U.S. citizens on U.S. soil, then no, you're not just going to strike them down with a drone. You're going to apprehend these guys and then do stuff with them. Yeah? Yeah, that sounds like that's what he's saying. I mean, I, I do agree with that policy. But, yeah, the thing that worries me most, I mean, I would definitely want to know if he's kind of a pacifist in terms of international you know, foreign policy. I'm most worried about his position on social issues because I've seen emails from, I, I was a supporter of his during the 2010 elections, um, just like I subscribed to his mailing list and stuff like that. And I've got emails from him then that are demanding like a per, the so-called personhood amendment that makes uh, from the time of conception that a constitutional amendment that, that deems that to be a person. Right. Um, and that's just, that's a really bad position to have on abortion. And, yeah. Uh, so that's and 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 you know that with uh, with some of the really botched late term abortions that they've been making a lot of news of lately, people can get very emotionally wrapped up and ready to pass an amendment like that when they otherwise wouldn't. It, it, it's pretty scary stuff. I agree with you. Um, let's go ahead on to another topic. Do you, just just hang out with me, Deborah. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. <laughs> um, what about the correspondence dinner? Did you look at any of that Obama speech there and any of the, the nihilism going on this year? Remember last year we did a whole episode on the nihilism at the correspondence dinner because he was brought on and as they were introducing him, you kind of heard his voice in the background and you learned that you were actually hearing him when he was in the toilet and then you hear the flush the toilet. Do you remember that? Ah, yes. I remember we, that. We we talked about that a year ago and and it and I I talked about it as an example of Obama's nihilism as as his out to destroy values, his nihilism with respect to the office of the president itself. And I thought that was a really clear example. This year not not as blatant as that in terms of actual bathroom toilet humor, but I saw some of it. Did you hear what it, the joke that he made about so-called BuzzFeed? No, I didn't. He says uh he says the face of journalism has changed. He says I remember when BuzzFeed, I guess BuzzFeed is a website, you know, that you get news from. He says I remember when BuzzFeed was something that you did at 2 a.m. during college. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then and then and then people are laughing and then you know how people do they they kind of after the laughter starts to die out a little, he says true story and then they laugh more. He did that. Uh -huh. Oh, um, wow. And then he talks about himself, you know, how he's kind of lost it. He says, yeah, I'm no longer the strapping young Muslim socialist that I used to be. I did hear about that. Yeah. So he's, he's joking about that. He was also joking about the idea of the media working for him and his advisors. 
he said uh, Axelrod now works for MSNBC, and he says, "Wow, you know that's a change of pace because MSNBC used to work for Axelrod." <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I think. Yeah. So he he jokes about all this stuff. He tries to make himself be hip. So there was still some of this, you know, I think nihilism with respect to the office of the president. He doesn't have the dignified look. But I'm actually I was actually surprised that it wasn't even worse than last year because now he is in his second term. He's been reelected. But you know that that toilet flush from last year I think was beating pretty much any of this. Yeah, I I mean, but this joke, though, the president joking about having a certain control over the media, um, that's pretty disturbing, actually. You You know, I mean, everybody, it's kind of like an open, everybody already kind of knows it, but he's just sort of joking about, like, owning the media. I mean, he didn't say it like that. He was referring specifically to MSNBC, and that makes it a little bit less frightening because everybody knows MSNBC is kind of a hardcore liberal um, station, but but still, I I find that kind of chilling that the president would just get up there and joke about how they sort of control at least even just any aspect of the media. Right. No, I I mean th- these are elements that I thought were pretty nihilist with respect to the office of the president saying, you know, look, I'm just going to make light of these things, um, make light of the idea that I might have been a Muslim socialist in, in the past, which actually he was. Um, and then people just laugh about it. And these these are actually concerns that some people who, you know, are, are wise, not just, but, it, you know, it, it, some of it also, of course, is an argument from intimidation, like the whole speech is an argument from intimidation against his opponents. Uh, if people don't know what argument from intimidation is, what it means is is that instead of actually addressing an argument or a position and actually talking about the substance of it, you just make light of it and you laugh at it as if it's just, you know, contemptible to even hold that position. And you basically, you know, criticize anybody who holds that position without ever attacking the position itself directly. That's what you do with it. And that that's what the whole the whole talk was, basically. Um, you know, he's so charming. He's so charming. I have never found that to be the case. I, I've even heard women say, this is horrible, Amy, this is going to upset you probably. I heard a bunch of women, uh, Some someone had a, Women call into their radio program in 2008, 2007 and say why they like Obama and want to vote for him. And they kept saying, I don't know, I just think he's hot and things like that. And and I never found him attractive at all. But um, that's pretty disturbing that that's the kind of mentality that people have about a president. No, it, it definitely is disturbing and, you know, the, the other thing about the White House Correspondents' Center, you heard that Tom Brokaw boycotted it? No, I didn't. He boycotted it because he says that the, this Correspondents' Center has, you know, become all about celebrities and not about honoring the profession of journalism, which is what it should be. So, I mean, even Brokaw himself is basically saying that this has become a nihilist enterprise by reducing the stature of journalism, not just the presidency. Yeah, well, the journalists have earned that, uh, you know, to have their profession kind of minimized and trivialized. Most of them have, at least in the mainstream, they absolutely have earned that. 
They definitely have. So we have come to the end of our hour, Deborah. Thank you so much for calling in and hanging out with me and chatting with everybody in the chat room as well. If you would like to keep up with me during the week, and uh, I mean, I, I'm just always amazed when the hour is gone, but please join us at the Don't Let It Go on her page on Facebook. You can go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and comment on this show. You can also there, if you want to, contribute to the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Amy Peakoff. But most importantly, if you do like the show, please spread the word. It is a word-of-mouth operation largely. And my mouth, although I do like to talk for most of an hour each week, my mouth is only so big. So thank you, everyone. Have a good week. Have a good night. And we'll talk next time. Goodbye.